Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. Take a wee pause or a sidestep away from the Gospel of John, where we're in that final night, as we know, that fateful night as Jesus was making his way to Gethsemane and we're a bit further on, we'll, we'll fast forward a little bit uh, and take it to the cross. And I said last year, I remember, I looked through my notes from last year and I'll say it again, how unqualified, I have to say, how unqualified I am and how unqualified all preachers and teachers are to truly bring a, a message, um, to preach a message of Easter. Uh, you feel the weight of that and how unqualified we all are, what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago and over the years, trust me, I've spoken some crazy metaphors on the message of the cross when I think about it and I was, I was reflecting this morning about the things and where we were as a church and the stuff, oh my goodness. We spoke about everything but the cross. The, the reason is, is it's, you, you're, I was just reading a book recently and it's, it, it gives a whole list of why we fear man. And uh, the, the writer, the author says kind of near the end of this passage because you say, well, there's codependency, all the different things. And people could go, well, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me. And then he says at the end of the paragraph, have you ever gone to share the gospel and you felt ashamed or embarrassed by at any point and he just says got you because we all suffer for one thing or the other from the fear of man and he says if we don't have that going on in our life then we should really check uh, the human for a pulse because I think at all times we've feared man and, and, and the things of man and when I look back at our history as a church and where we were before our own reformation that's what we're simply calling it now uh, it took us three years to find a name for it but that's what it is um, and when we found our own reformation and God's graced us with the word uh, up until then the things that we used to do at Easter was crazy I remember one time we went down Motherwell and we did get have a bunny suit it was a fortune a bunny suit, we had a big bunny suit, big massive bunny suit, I don't know who wore it, uh, I wish it was me, then they wouldn't have needed to see my face, uh, and a big bunny suit, and we'd done all sorts of stuff, and then we would have shows and different things, the Lion King, because that's a more profound message into it than the message of the cross, and many will be doing that this weekend as well, in an attempt, what, an attempt to what? To make what happened more light, and appealing and relevant, to the ear of them are hoping to, or they, them they're hoping to catch, or to try to reinvent the message of the cross and make it somehow relevant, uh, more attractive. For many, they won't even be in church this weekend. Many churches won't even be opened. They'll be having picnics in the park or something. Well, keeping the flesh and others and the body who have got a a different opinion about whether we should be meeting, trying to keep them happy. It's like in Gethsemane when, in the night Christ was betrayed and prior to his arrest, and much of the church, like the disciples, will be sleeping when Jesus was facing horrendous turmoil 
the disciples indeed were sleeping, like much of the churches, and will be this Easter weekend, alarmingly. Yeah, Apostle Paul says, For I have determined to know nothing, as we know, but Christ and have crucified. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2. He says this as he writes to the church in Corinth, who were steeped in, even though Paul, if you recall, in Acts 18 is where Paul recounts his time in visiting Corinth, and he was the first pastor of the church in Corinth, bringing the message to that area, but time has moved on, and by the time then Paul writes to the church in Corinth, uh, they are again embracing and steeped, if you like, uh, in the worldliness, in the worldly ways. And as he writes, he says, I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing, or I determined not to know anything among you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It might word it differently, depends on the translation you have. And firstly, Paul is saying, I know that human wisdom cannot truly proclaim Christ. No amount of creativity um, can make the message more appealing than the word. It might make it more appealing to the emotions of a person. And as you know, as I said, over the years I've stood here, this very place, and gave countless creative emotional talks that touch many people's feelings. Who could ever know be touched by Nala? Some of you are looking, Nala, Lion King, get, speed up. <laughs> who, who, would not, who could not be touched more by Nala than the cross? Or Buzz Lightyear or something. <laughs> it gets worse. Yeah, it takes the word of God to touch the spirit. And Paul is saying, I've no package this sermon or any event in which I witnessed by my own take and my own words. And we know Paul could. R.C. Sproul says, a man with the equivalent of a good few PhDs had, could have every option but to preach his own words and have his own intellect. We know Paul was truly a gifted communicator and writer. And we see that through Paul's experience and encounter with Christ. But regardless, he chooses to know nothing but what Christ did for him. The Corinthians on the, in the early church were constantly drawn to worldliness, worldly ways, worldly philosophies. John MacArthur said that they were unable to fully break from the culture in which they came. And there lies the problem we see in the church because people arrive and they're unable to escape or even maybe desire to break free from the current culture that the church then chooses. Let's find a message within the culture. Let's find it something more appealing to their tickling ears in that culture. Where were they in the terms of the culture is irrelevant to what Paul wanted to say to them. Paul never arrived going right well. Well, we know when he went to the Areopagus in, the, in, in Mars Hill, he, 
He understood what was going on in their life, but he always had a perspective for Christ. And Paul never came with, I better teach them in a way that helps them kind of manage and have their foot in both camps. That became irrelevant to Paul. Uh, and then where they were at in life did not matter. Because he knew that when you start doing that, it starts to take away from Christ and the gospel. Many think it's proactive. But in truth, it's negatively reactive. Um, we know that from experience. It never led to anything. It never led to anything. It just led to people having a nice experience. But no power of the word. Paul says he determined and he resolved to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. The word here is kreno. It's in Greek. It means to judge or to have an opinion in matters. He resolved to not have an opinion on matters other than Christ and him crucified. Paul's saying, I want to judge nothing or have no opinion on anything but Christ and him crucified. Meaning I have no opinion except on the things of the Lord and what he done. It's a challenge, isn't it? Of course, did Paul teach in other things? Paul taught in many things. But when it came to the world and them in the world, and them who were encapsulated in the world, he preached the cross. And even when it came to them that claimed to know Christ, but seemed to be entangled in the world, he preached Christ. Paul, no matter what he talked about or wrote on, it can be truly said that Christ and him crucified was front and centre on the foundation of absolutely everything he taught. Today in modern Christianity, the cross and the work of the cross has become nothing more than a symbol or a metaphor for man's own ideas and creative ways. I seen a thing the other day and listen, I'm no, mo I'm, I'm no mocking it because we've done it, but I'm, I understand how far away it is. And there was somebody bringing this creative drama. Couldn't he see the people for smoke, but hey. Gets the crowd. And Paul never resorted to any of that because we must preach Christ. Not just at this time, but at Easter, but in all times. And no think that what we have to say will bring people from darkness to light. And I think it makes it more weighty as you bring the word each week. It's not by eloquent words. It's not by what man says that will change a heart or a soul. Truly, Paul says, and as he moves on to verse 4 and 5, and my speech and my preaching were not pers with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and the power that, you that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. No matter how articulate and creative a preacher or teacher is, if he speaks with his own wisdom and thoughts, the gospel message then is no true power. Man can't save man. Man can't redeem man. Man can't do anything to bring man to God. We can preach, yeah. Man can't take away sins of the world. 
Man can't put eternity into somebody's heart. And in Corinth at the time, they were removing the teaching of Christ and bringing the philosophy of the world and the pleasures of the world into the church. In fact, they almost seen that their freedom in Christ gave them liberty to do whatever they wanted. It's like hyper grace, anything. It's beyond hyper grace. Charles Haddon Spurgeon says, the power that is in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Otherwise men would be converts of souls. We might preach until our tongues rot. See some words Spurgeon, isn't it? But never a soul would be converted unless the Holy Spirit be with the word of God to give it the power to save a soul. End quote. Truly, if we want to see souls saved, therefore, we can but preach Christ and him crucified and allow the work of the word through the spirit of the word to convict souls. So today, as we open our word again, how many messages you could preach in an Easter message, I'm reminded of man's inability, but God's saving power through his son Jesus Christ. Okay, let's turn for a few moments to that cross, that fateful day in Calvary and we're going to move on and this is the final few hours of Christ's life. We, we could talk before about the, the pain and the, before Pilate and the crowd screaming to free Barabbas. Pilate hedging his bets. Jesus being brutally abused but I'm going to talk about this because this is where I think the Holy Spirit's led us Matthew 27 we're going to read the five verses which is a miracle if I get through five verses and this is also documented Mark 15 Luke 23 it's parallel there spoke slightly different as we know in John as most things are Verse 45 of Matthew 27, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. That would be from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. In those days, the days were broken into four. From that time, from the sixth to the ninth, then would be from 12 midday to 3 p.m. And it says they were darkness over the land. And I don't know, I've read this and I've never spent any real time thinking about that darkness and I've studied a lot. And, oh, they were an eclipse and this happened. Oh, they were a storm, some say. Uh, they were a real storm that lasted exactly three hours. Okay, uh, that's, that's good timing, isn't it? That could have been. Uh, they were an eclipse, but then you need to ask where did the eclipse know? Because it depends on what part of the world you were in, where that eclipse was. So there's loads of, uh, there's loads of different debates. Yeah. Just back up a bit here. This is on the day of the Passover. We know the Passover was went on for the whole week. This was the Passover feast. So Jerusalem is absolutely jam-packed, maybe a couple of million people in Jerusalem at this time. And this is the feast of the Passover coming to the part as the, the feast of the unleavened bread. And this, this is symbolizing when the Jews were set free, as we know from uh, the captivity Pharaoh. Uh, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread symbolizes that God was delivering his people from the hands of Pharaoh 
and they had no time to leaven their bread. That's really what it does. But it also, it's also to depict God freeing them from sin. And throughout Jerusalem on this very fateful day, this afternoon, households throughout Jerusalem would have been sitting having a meal um, at the table with their family. Uh, they would have been, and I spoke about this a lot, so I won't get into it, but briefly, uh, if you ever want to read more about this, I think, speak to James Sedwell, but probably Fraser will be able to find it, or Andrew will be able to find a message where I spoke in detail about these things, uh, these feasts and festivals. But anyway, briefly, uh, on the very day that Christ hung, this Friday, in these three hours even, Jewish families everywhere were having their meal, their Passover meal, the feast of the unleavened bread. They would have three breads, metzah, I think they're called. And what they would do is, is this is astounding, and as I say, I won't get into detail, but what they would do is they would be sitting with their family and they would have three slices of bread. They were saying it was to depict the Jews and the Levites. And we know what the three slices, the three bits of bread are for. It's the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And what would happen is, is they took these three bits of bread and they would take the middle bit of bread out, the sun, <laughs> and the bread had stripes and holes in it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's remarkable, isn't it? And what they would do is they would wrap the middle piece of bread in cloth. <laughs> and then they would take the middle piece of bread that's wrapped in the cloth and then they would go and hide it in rocks or in stones. And then they would continue with the meal. Then they would send the kids out. And this would be their Easter egg hunt. They would send the kids out to go and find it. The Othi Kumin is what it was called. And Othi Kumin means he comes. All this is, or he came. So here's the saviour of the world hanging on the cross. Darkness is all around. This darkness during a time when it was the most light between 12 p.m. and 3 p.m. and yet there's darkness all around. And I, don't, I don't believe it just means, oh, it was darkness in the spirit. It was a metaphor. If you read John MacArthur, you'll know he'll never talk it as if it's some metaphorical. When it says it's darkness, it's darkness. And that darkness was a sign of God's judgment of the world and its sin. It could obviously be said it was to show how darkened people were to the light of Christ maybe. But no matter where you look or study, one thing is always in agreement by most scholars that darkness was sure God's judgment in the world and its sins. And the cross is where the sins of the world met the righteous judgment of God on this fateful day. And I would add one more thing. Since Jesus is the true light, I am in him was light and he was the light of the world. We know that from John 1. And because he knew he was the true light of men and the light of the world. And at that time, as we know, this is at the moment Jesus became fully separated from God. Then that darkness that fell on earth is truly a, a horrifying, if you like, intense reality 
of Christ's separation from God. And also the darkness of sin when we are not in Christ and we have no light in which to find as he separated from God at that point. Here in Jerusalem on that very day, thousands of Jews are in the city celebrating their freedom. Yet they could not recognise that they were rejecting the light. Because without him there is no light. This is what we were like, isn't it? Talks about it in Ephesians, the start of Ephesians. We were, we were darkened, we were in the dark, we were separated from God. We see this every day in society. And as on it says in verse 46, and about the ninth hour, this would be 3 p.m., people will argue about that. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabbathani, that is my God, just as Fraser spoke, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me from Psalm 22? At 3 p.m., the ninth hour, Jesus cries out with such pain and loss. All sin is on him. As I was studying this today, honestly, and I, I, don't, I don't get much emotional when I preach. And, no, anyway, I, I used to see people and they would cry on tap for effect. Um, and as I was studying this today, I just, it's, a, it's such an impossible task to capture the weight of this. It's, it's a mystery, it's beyond human comprehension to capture this. Jesus cries out with such pain and loss, all sin is new on him. He's cut off from the Father completely at this point. The sins of the whole world are now on him. The physical agony is but secondary. As you read this, you can, you can hear the, the physical agony, which is massive as his nail-pierced hands and his feet and he's gasping for breath as the oxygen's not going to his brain. And that's what kills you when you're crucified. You, you have to press, seriously, you have to press on the nails because your lungs are collapsing. Your body's falling apart. And the only way you can get a breath is to press on the nails in order to open up your windpipe and breathe. And here Jesus facing all that, but there's some even more painful. The physical agony is secondary compared to the separation that he feels for the Father. And if we could look at it, and it's, you, you can't compare it, but just for a thought, if you, how much more is our pain of separation from God than our physical separation? Or our physical pain? Oh, sometimes we face physical pain and when we look at our life and we look back, you're going, oh, well, that is nowhere near the level of pain is what you feel when you're separated from God or you feel that distance from God. Yet many choose to be relieved by physical pain. The world, even believers at times, we, we choose to satisfy our flesh and feel the pain that instantly comes, doesn't it? After the gratification, it's instant pain. 
of the separation you feel from God. A sinful man cannot pray powerful prayers. <laughs> Try it. <laughs> Just cannot pray those prayers. The weight of the separation. All our flesh, all our sins. Not just on that Friday, but for all Fridays, Jesus is carrying. So Jesus is not carrying the weight of sin for that day. He's carrying the weight of sin for all days, for all men, forever, to, who would live on that day. For every Friday, all good Fridays to come. And it led to salvation. And Jesus is crying to his father. Do you hear that? Eli, Eli, my God, my God. Why have you? He's crying to the Father with such loss. And he shut him out and he's ignoring him. He shut him out. The Father who what? Who's been at his side from the beginning and the foundation of the earth. The very beginning of time, he was always at his right hand side. And here he is shut out for the Father. And the Father has forsaken him completely. That's the level, that's the, and you can't even, you just need to just think in that and you're, you're still no close. The pain of Christ's loss for the sake of sinners is almost too painful to comprehend. I'm, for, I'm separated, alienated, cut off, Forsaken from the Father. Our finite minds can't comprehend it. We're too small. Our, our humanity, our humanness is too small to comprehend the level of that pain as he cries out. The perfect man, but more than that, the Son of Man from the very beginning. From time began separated from the Father. Cut off from the land of the living. Purged into darkness. And that cry, I think, we'll never fully comprehend. Unfathomable pain. What Jesus went through on that cross as he cries out and he's no listening. He's no listening. His father's not listening. He's ignoring him. He shut him off. And he's crying. And he's been ignored. And he's been shut off. Because God forsook him. And catalipo, you've heard me talking about this before, that's a word. And catalipo, to be catapulted out of existence for God. Totally abandoned, as in Greek, totally abandoned. Utterly left on his own. That's what's happening at that moment. Darkness all around, pain, despair, loss. This is an amazing thing, but for all us that are saved by God's grace, we know there's a voice under that that's saying it's my darkness. 
It's causing me that you're separated. It's me that's causing that cry. It's me that's caused that. It's me that's put you through that. It's my sins you're carrying. I remember, and I, I didn't even equate even my life here. I remember when I got saved. 22 years ago to this day, I, I, I got sober. 20 year, 22 years ago to this very day. It was Easter. It was Good Friday. Good Friday was the exact same time 22 years ago. Isn't that amazing? And I got sober. 22 years ago to this day. God's grace. And it was four years later through God's grace that I got saved even though he was working anonymously in the background. I remember going to an AA meeting that was in, what do you call that place? Civic Centre. They were an AA convention. I walked through the doors, the first sober day of my life, 22 years ago. It wasn't the first sober day of my life, but you said I was drunk for birth, Mark. Disney makes, wait, 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 what are you saying? Was your mum bottle feeding you buck fast? <laughs> I walk through the doors here and he, I walk through the doors here and he just says, you're no longer alone. You'll find a God of your own understanding. I've never had a drink since that day. 22 years ago to the very day. It's a miracle. But for the grace of God. But it was four years later when I got saved and I remember I was at a a retreat, you may as well know the story. I'm not going into my testimony. And I remember the call of God in my life. I'm, talk, I'm not talking about what I'm going to it. But I remember sitting in the seat as people were praying for me and the physical Jesus wasn't there, but the, the spirit of Christ was there. And I, could, I was weeping. Because I knew I was living a life and ignoring what he done. I lived my whole life and I ignored what he'd done for us. I wasn't weeping for me. See, it's the difference between Judas and Peter, eh? When Peter denied Christ, he, he, he was devastated because he denied Christ. When Judas denied Christ, he, he couldn't wait to get his own status back. And all I could think that moment in those hours it was literally hours, ugly snottery greets. You know them ones? Don't know if empty outside. There are people listening here for you all over. Sorry, I'll need to repeat that. It's ugly cries, nose running, messy, messy. Ashamed and yet at the same time being comforted. And that was like totally ashamed. No ashamed of me. I've, there's this guy next to me going, oh, he's, he's, looking for, he's looking for healing of the inner child. He's like, oh, apologise to yourself. It's not myself, I need to apologise to you. It's what I've done to Jesus, who screamed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I forsook him for years. I cared not, nor considered him. When I look at this passage, when Christ cries out, I think, why, do I, why can I see these with such shallow emotions? When Christ has gone through that, well, we care not. Well, churches are having picnics in the park. Are you kidding me on? 
when that's what Christ went through and we're treating the bride of Christ with such contempt but yeah oh what a saviour what such a servant what a servant that he took our place so what that we could become sons that we'd be daughters of Christ that we would be redeemed to God his separation was our victory his cry of despair was your cry of victory. John 12, John 1, 12, 13, we'll know this well. But as many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. To those who believed in his name, who were born, what? Not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, no eloquent words. No way man's creative message. But, but of God, they became born again. Okay, we move on. Verse 47 to 49. Some of those who stood there, when they heard that, said, this man is calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and Put it on a reed, it would have been a wee stick, we can have sponge on it. And said, and then the rest said, let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come and save him. <coughs> and here is Jesus is facing this and pain, despair, loss, unfathomable sorrow. And darkness all around, yet the crowd, what? Still mock. I look at my life before I get saved. That's how I lived, yeah. That's how we all lived. Jesus is crying out on the cross to the Father, and we're going, let's party, who cares? I'm just turning up at church for the Easter egg. Darkness all around you. The crowd mock and believe not. And, and true salvation there is truly the work of the Lord. Man cannot save himself from knowledge. Here, these men, the place is dark. It's dark round about them. He's just quoted Psalm 22. And yet they're mocking. Why? Because it's only if the sun sets you free that you're free indeed. These people are alienated from the God. From God. Remember it says, is it? Ephesians 5, being alienated from God. Because of what? The ignorance in their hearts. They know he's no calling on Elijah. It's, it's not even, oh, he's calling on Elijah. It's like, it's mockery. They know he's no calling on Elijah. They're but mocking him in his pain because they've reduced him to a man who can't go off the cross. A man with no power to absolve even his own issues, never mind yours. You're saying that this man, the son of man, the king of the Jews, 
Jesus of Nazareth? Is here to redeem you your sins and he can't even pull himself off the cross? Yet we know otherwise. And the man offers Jesus a drink. John MacArthur said it may have been that one man there had a bit of mercy, although of course short-lived. However, even that act was more heavily countered by the crowd that says, nah, don't give him anything. Don't even let him have some respite. Let's see if he can rescue himself. Every religion in the world today still have that question. What kind of saviour is it that would not be able to rescue himself? Oh, you've missed the point then, haven't you? Verse 50 as we close, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. It's, it's dead simple in Matthew. It says a bit more in others. It just simply says in Matthew, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Others will say he gave up the ghost. But notice here that it wasn't out with his control. He yielded his spirit. And others it says it is finished. This yielding is, is what? It's one of sacrifice. It's one of being in control. He's deciding to let go. Remember he says to Pilate, you don't have the right. Nobody takes my life. I lay it down. I chose this. It's the very reason why I came. Yet it's not without devastation. John Calvin, or paraphrase, says, if it never had such pain, they would have no needed such obedience. Surely for us all, if there's no such pain, why? Obedience is... Truly no obedience without the pain. He decided to let go. And here, as he says, and he yielded up his spirit, this is the work of the cross was done. The power of the cross the subsidiary sacrifice. He took our sins and our pain, the sacrificial lamb, what they were celebrating in the Passover that whole week. Sacrificing the lamb, the purest lamb. Sacrificing it and they would put it in the doorposts. And the Passover would mean that the sins would pass over. We would not be, we'd be blameless. This is what the Jews were doing. Well, the, the blood's dripping for the cross. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You remember John says that? John the Baptist says. It was complete. It was accomplished. It is finished. He took it all and look, it says, and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last, or you can read it and say, having said this, he bowed. John Calvin says his faith was unshaken. 
and stood its ground undefeated. And although Christ is totally cut off, totally cut off with God, Hendrickson goes on to talk about plunging into hell. I think it's inaccurate. Uh, where it goes there. But just leave that there. Christ is cut off and he trusted God to the last. He's cut off, but yet he still trusted God We Saul. Again, I'll quote Calvin to close. This is Cal, this is wonderful words. Now let us remember that it was not for his personal interests that Christ commended his soul. <laughs> it's not his personal interest. It's not he trying to get in the good books again with the Father. It's Now let us remember, it was not for his personal interest that Christ commended his soul to the Father, but he gathered up, as it were, all the faithful elect. In that moment, in that moment he yielded his soul, he gathers all the elect, all God's chosen from the beginning of to the end of time. Even them are not born yet, babies. We don't know who's elect and who's not. But that moment he gathers them all. But he gathered up, as it were, all the souls of the elect in one bundle and gave them to God at that moment for his safekeeping. Amen. Sunday we will. See, it's not Disney finished there, didn't it? No, isn't it amazing? Because Sunday's coming. Because our sins died that day, but you know what? Come Sunday is Resurrection Sunday because Jesus, we were not just left to somebody that does not sin and been forgiven for sins, but we're born again. The right to be called sons of God where we don't just overcome death, we live. A new life. Everybody was crying. I'm going to get his Sundays. He thought, oh, with one, he's dead. He's over. It's gone. It's over. He's not here. And yet that Sunday, isn't it? As the stone is rolled away, you'll see that John and Peter run into the tomb. Which is sprints, Peter sprints past. And John runs right in. He's not there. He's risen. He's risen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.